0: wow. That happened to be my favorite hymn. Maybe it's some of yours as well. And I was just thinking about that. If you go to a Braves game, when the Braves players come up, they have what they call walk-up music as they're coming up to bat. So I'll take that. (sighs) So the last time that I preached from up here, As the sermon was over and the service ended and I'm walking to my car, I get a text. A text pops up on my phone and it is from one of our members, from a man in the church. We'll call him Scott, because that's actually his name. (laughs) And I read the the, the text and it said this. It said, TJ, I just had to let you know that your sermon this morning was spit on. Wow, that's kind of harsh (laughs) and pretty graphic, too. And I realized that even though I got some other positive input and feedback that day from folks, I realized that maybe not everybody would receive that sermon so well. And as I got in my car and I was considering how I was going to respond to Scott, another text popped up, also from Scott. And it said this, TJ, my wife just saw the text I sent you. She just shook her head and said, your fingers are too fat for texting. What I meant to say was, TJ, your sermon this morning was spot on. So as you can imagine, I appreciated the clarification. This morning's message is going to be on community, biblical community, gospel community, which is found at an intersection, Gospel community is found at the intersection of truth and grace. Many of you may know that my primary role here as one of the pastors is to give leadership to our small group ministry. And although small groups can be a fantastic place to experience gospel community, this message is actually about a bigger picture. So let me tell you where we're going to be going with this. In a few minutes, we're going to look in Acts chapter 2, the back half of that. We're going to explore and unpack what we mean by community. More specifically, what I mean by gospel community. We're going to talk about this intersection of truth and grace. What that looks like. How do we know when we're there and how do we get there? So that's where we're going. Community, what what does it mean? We live in a very paradoxical society and culture. Where on one level, we're extremely connected digitally We can send a a text to hundreds of people. We can go on to online communities and and chat rooms. We can have a thought and we can let a thousand people know about it through Facebook or, or through Instagram. So we're connected that way. And yet, so many people today would say that in real life relationships, true connection, true relationship, true community all but eludes them, even in the church, maybe especially in the church. But this is not at all what God had in mind for his people. Of course, this idea of community, it is certainly not exclusive to the church. Community in its generic sense just simply means any group of people, that what they have in common is shared values, or shared behaviors, or characteristics. So anything could be community. I play on an Alta tennis team. We have community around tennis. We also happen to have won our division championship yesterday, but you guys probably already read about that. <laughs> Just saying. But what we're going to be talking about today is gospel community. Gospel community is so much more than what we often refer to as fellowship. Fellowship. In its, in its general way we use that term fellowship today, sometimes that can mean simply having good relationships with like-minded Christians who believe what we believe and meet our social needs in more sanctified ways. But, but gospel community is all about God working in our life through his people to do his transforming work in our life to make us more Christ-like. It's what God has always intended and had in mind for his people. The story of God and his people has always been a story of true community. It's always been that way, even from before the beginning of this world. God himself has always existed in perfect community. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have always been together. This concept of the Trinity didn't just come on the scene when the pages of your Bible turned into the New Testament. Going back as far as we can, going back to Genesis 1. God didn't say in Genesis 1, I'm going to make man in my image. No. In Genesis 1.26, it says that God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Now, there's a lot to that. There's a lot of meaning to that. But at least part of that statement shows that God has always existed and related in perfect community. That's who he is. That's his nature. And God has also always intended for us, his people, to relate to one another in a way that reflects his character. So God created Adam on the sixth day. The first five days were spent creating Adam. The light, the water, the sun, the stars, the animals. And every day ended with the scripture saying that God saw that it was was good. And then day six happened, and, and God created Adam. And for the first time in creation, something wasn't good. It wasn't necessarily that Adam wasn't good. It was that Adam was alone. So you know what God did to make that good? What really good thing did God create for Adam? For Adam, God created ESPN, that's right. No, sorry. No, God created Eve. And the first thing that wasn't good wasn't that Adam was lonely. It wasn't good because God had always intended for mankind to relate to one another in perfect community, in perfect relationship with one another and with God himself. That was God's intent from the literal beginning. So, have we done with that since then? Well, it wasn't long before all the drama that took place in the garden and and sin came into the picture, and true Community has been a challenge to experience ever since. We still deal with the repercussions, the repercussions of shame and hiding impact relationships ever since. But fast forward, fast forward and enter our hero, enter the second Adam, enter Christ. Jesus came to earth to redeem that which was lost in the garden, and he brought his gospel of truth and grace and forgiveness and redemption and the possibility of restored community. And that's part of why he established his church. Part of the church's purpose is to reflect Christ to the world, to reflect his gospel. And right away, we saw the impact of that. Turn to Acts chapter 2, if you haven't already. And we're going to start at, toward the end of Acts 2, starting with verse 42. To set this up, these are, this is describing the new believers. So many folks had just come to faith from all different backgrounds. And this is how it describes how they went about living. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and they had everything in common selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. And they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So right away, we see this initial, initial picture of community, new believers in what they were doing as they experienced life together. They were focusing on God's truth. They hung out together. They took their meals together. They cared for one another. They ate together. They met needs and prayed for one another. and they ate together. You might pick up that I kind of like that one. And they worshiped together. All these things are things that we're still called to be doing together today. And they did this in large groups and in small groups, in the temple courts and in homes. And the impact was great because people from the outside were looking in and they said, we want what they've got. Because they looked in and saw this community of people that loved each other well, that were unified And these people, they talked about Jesus and they told others about Jesus. And people who were far from God became believers and they joined this new growing community, this gospel community. Now, for the sake of this message, I want to give you what I would call it, not necessarily a definition, but maybe my description of what I mean by gospel community. Gospel community is God's people changed by the gospel, reflecting the gospel, because of the gospel together. Gospel community is simply God's people, people who have been themselves changed by the gospel, people who are reflecting the gospel, and they're doing it because of the gospel. And this all happens together. Can you see how all of these things were played out in those verses we read in Acts 2 by that new community? They were changed by the gospel. It's what they had in common, even though they came from probably very different backgrounds and even cultures. They shared in common this new life in Christ. They shared in common the bond of God's Holy Spirit. And they were changed by it. They and we also share a common calling because of the gospel, for the sake of the gospel, for the advancement of the gospel. And we live this out by reflecting The gospel, not only to those who don't know the Lord, but also to one another. And Jesus knew ahead of time how critical it was going to be that this new community reflect his love for one another. It was critical to the advancement and the success of the mission. When Jesus prayed the night before his arrest and he gathered his disciples, he prayed specifically for their love for one another and for their unity. John records that that, that, that that night in the upper room, John writes in his gospel that Jesus said this to his disciples. He said, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This is how they're going to know. And when he prayed, he said, Father, I pray that they would be one, that they would be brought into complete unity, so that, now catch this, so that the world will know that you have sent me. So that the world will know that I am indeed the Messiah, that I am indeed the Savior of the world. That's what Jesus prayed for. And soon what he prayed for began happening. People who were changed by the gospel reflected the gospel because of the gospel. And the church began taking, it off, taking off and it has expanded ever since. Back then, and just as importantly today, gospel community is found at this this intersection, this intersection of truth and grace. We hear a lot about this, don't we, This, this package deal of truth and grace. In fact, it's how John chose to introduce Jesus to the world when he was writing his gospel. In the first chapter, John wrote this. He said that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and full of truth. A few verses later, he underscored this by saying, the law came from Moses. Grace and truth were brought to us by Jesus Christ. It's who Jesus is. Grace and truth, truth and grace. It's not an either or. The gospel is both and. And these aren't just theological concepts. Truth and grace are how Jesus always relates with us. It was true then, it's true now. With a woman who was caught in adultery, who was thrown out into the street ready to be killed. With truth and grace, Jesus met her. He didn't condemn her. But with loving dignity, he restored her, and he told her, go and sin no more. With Matthew, the tax collector, it was truth and grace that changed the whole trajectory of his life. With the the Samaritan woman at the well, with Peter, over and over and over, with Saul on that Damascus road, all of their lives were changed by Christ when they encountered his truth and his grace. That's how Jesus always related with people then. And my friends, it's still how he relates with us today. It's what changed our lives. At our conversion, sure. But it's still how God desires to do his transforming work in our life today. Truth. All of God's word is truth. All of God's ways are truth. There's a truth about who God is and And the truth about who we are, there's truth about who we aren't. There's truth about our brokenness and the truth of God's redemptive sufficiency and grace. What a beautiful word. Grace doesn't mean a free pass or that our sin doesn't matter. But in God's grace, our failures, they don't push us out of relationship with him. But rather, grace lovingly calls us back to God Restoring us, encouraging us, empowering us, and like the Father with his prodigal son on that road, embracing us. And so, if this is how Jesus relates with people and with us, what would happen if we, his people, related with one another consistently with truth and grace? I think what we'd experience is what he always intended. I think we would experience transformational gospel community. But there's a problem. I've noticed this, and I don't know why this is true, but I've noticed that most Christians seem to lack a healthy balance of biblical truth and grace for one another. I saw this several years ago. I was teaching a class here on Sunday mornings. We had about 40 adults in this class, and it was on community. And this one morning I asked everybody to consider something. I said, I want you to think about someone in your life, someone that you know who is a consistent source of truth to you. They give you truth. I paused till everybody had somebody in mind. And then I said, okay, now I want you to think about somebody who always gives you grace. When you need grace, they're there for you. And after a moment, everybody had someone in mind. And then I asked them this. I said, for how many of you was that truth teller and the grace giver the same person? Out of 40 people, only one person raised their hand. I don't know why it is, but for whatever reason, the body of Christ seems to be sadly lacking people who live out both well. Many people may express truth, but they're lacking grace. Others may be big on grace, but not so big on truth. This ought not be this way. For gospel community to thrive, we need to be people for one another. We need to be people of truth and grace. Jesus like truth and Jesus like grace. That's the intersection where gospel community is found. For me, gospel community means having people in my life like that. It means having people in my life, a group of people that love me right where I'm at, but they love me too much to let me stay there. It's having people in my life that have built a relational bridge with me, a bridge that is strong enough to bear the weight of truth. And so because of that, I've invited them to speak truth into my life because I need truth. Truth that doesn't deny that there's still work for God to be doing in my life. But I also need grace. Grace that doesn't quit on me or reject me. Grace that hangs in there with me. Grace that reminds me that I'm forgiven. And grace that expresses and reminds me of the hope of the presence of God's Holy Spirit to do his changing, empowering work in my life. That's who we're called to be for one another. Let me ask you, do you have people like this in your life? Do you have a group of people in your life that love you and accept you right where you're at, but they love you too much to just let you stay there? Do you have people in your life more than just family members or a friend or two, but people who really know you The good, the bad, and the quirky. No, I didn't say ugly, because we don't have ugly people here at Apostles. But we do have a good number of us that fall into the quirky category. Do you have people in your life that care enough about you that they will be instruments of God's truth and grace in your life? These kinds of relationships have been one of the greatest gifts in my life. And they didn't, always, they didn't just start off that way just because we might have been in a small group. But over time, they developed into what we're talking about. But the problem is, all too often, we settle for so much less than this, don't we? We settle for less than gospel community. We settle for just plain fellowship that's safe, and we call it good, and we're, we're far too easily content Now, now please don't miss what I'm saying about the term fellowship. Because there's a big difference between the biblical word and concept of fellowship and what we commonly refer to it in our common vernacular. See, in the scriptures, what the Bible calls fellowship is translated from the Greek word koinonia. Koinonia is a beautiful word in all that it means. Actually, you might not know this, but the very first time that word koinonia shows up in the scriptures was in that Acts 2 passage that we looked at. Koinonia means the sharing of life, the sharing of common life together, the sharing of what we have in common, the sharing of God's Spirit and new life in Christ. Koinonia also means partnership in the gospel, partnering together to advance the gospel. Koinonia means more than our common translation is fellowship, but it really means gospel community. But in practice today, in common vernacular, what we often refer to as fellowship, we usually just mean Christian socializing with Christian friends in Christian ways. So how do we know when we're moving past that and moving in the direction of gospel community? True koinonia. I want to give you a few ideas. I want to offer three ideas, three things to look for, three key components of gospel community. The first is this. In gospel community, life change becomes contagious. In gospel community, life change becomes contagious. Life change. That may to some seem just like, oh, that's just another Christian buzzword until it's what you're experiencing. See, life change is what God is always up to in our life, to change us, to mold us, to shape us, to disciple us and sanctify us and make him more make us more like himself. In gospel community, that kind of transformation becomes contagious. And when you think of the word contagious, you probably think about someone who's got some kind of sickness going on and because you happen to be close enough to them and they were contagious, now you got it. In gospel com- community, life changes what becomes contagious. That's what happened back in Acts 2, and it's still what can happen today if we let it. One night, in a small group that Sharon and I used to be in, we were studying this the biblical concept of stewardship. And that night we were looking in this passage on Malachi, talking about giving back to our, of our resources to God. And, and our group had a, a number of people that were from varying different um, just levels of, of, of spiritual growth. And one guy in the group named Brad, he said this. He said, you know, guys, I just don't know if I'm there yet. I don't know if I'm really ready to let God have my finances. That's still my domain because I just don't know what he would do with it. We really, as a group, appreciated his honesty. And the conversation continued. And later on, one of the couples in the group, we actually they started talking about a different kind of stewardship. They began talking about not stewardship of our, of our money or our stuff, but stewardship of our families, particularly their children. And what they shared was that there was a turning point as they had wrestled with their trust in the Lord with their kids' lives and their kids' future. And they said that their walk with God really took a turn when they realized that God was trustworthy enough that they could trust him with the lives of their children and their futures. And they said, they said, we went to God and said, God, they're yours. They're not ours. We fully trust for your will for them, even when we don't see it yet. It was a really cool moment for our small group, but it got even cooler when Brad said, you know, guys, I'm sitting here and listening to you and hearing you talk about God being so trustworthy that you could even entrust your kids to them, to him. And he said, maybe, maybe if you can trust something as important as your kids, Maybe, maybe I can trust God with something as material as my finances. Another cool moment. A bit later, we, we prayed, closed in prayer, and people went on their, on their different ways. The next week when we got back together, Brad didn't make it because Brad was out of town, but his wife was there. And she came in and said, guys, you won't believe it. When we had barely pulled away from the house in our car, Brad looked at me and said, honey, Maybe we need to trust God and and loosen up our wallets a little bit in terms of our our giving back to God. She said, I couldn't believe it. Again, it could have been any area of Brad's life. But that night, in Brad's heart, it was his finances. You see, this kind of contagiousness, it doesn't happen just because we happen to be next to someone. But let me tell you my picture of how spiritual growth happens and how this works you see, spiritual growth often looks like this. The more we know God and the better we know his character, the more likely we are to trust him, right? And the more, likely we, uh, the more we trust him, the more likely we are to follow him more closely and obey him. And the more we know him and trust him and follow him, the more likely we are to love him all the more. In my mind, that's kind of what spiritual growth looks like. Now, when we're around other people, and they're talking about knowing God well and trusting him and following him and obeying him and loving him, we're going to be around those people, and we're going to want what they've got. We're going to want the blessing that God is working. Because in gospel community, life change often becomes contagious. Could it be maybe in this season of your life, maybe you're in a season where you feel a little stuck, a little spiritually stuck, maybe a little dry. You're not just experiencing that same spiritual vibrancy that you once did. Maybe you feel like you're going through the motions. Maybe you feel like you're just coasting. I wonder if could be part of the issue is that we're not around other people who are being contagious with their own spiritual vibrancy. Could that be part of the equation? Because when we're in gospel community, life change becomes contagious. There's something else. There's something else that happens in gospel community at this intersection of truth and grace. In gospel community, we live authentically. We live authentically in gospel community. Authenticity, genuineness, the freedom to be real without fear of rejection or judgment. Wouldn't it be great to live that way? Some of us may only be able to imagine what that would be like. Sadly, all too often in church culture today, too many of us have become experts at what I call image management. Image management is the energy that we put forth or the effort we make to present ourselves to other people so that they will see us in a particular way or think of us in a particular way, but all too often... It's in a way that's not quite who we truly are. Now, this isn't a humorous issue, but I did see something that I thought was kind of funny on on Twitter. Somebody posted this. They said, "Why can't people just accept me for who I pretend to be?" <laughs> if we're honest, if we're honest, many of us might say that we've become quite adept at the art of image management. For some of us, that's all we're used to. While at the same time, you may desperately want to be truly known and understood, accepted and loved right where you're at, but you don't dare risk being transparent because that risk may be too high, afraid that you could be exposed as less than or exposed as not enough. And so we remain protective, hidden, presentable, but not really known. I heard someone say before that living authentically is like inviting people into our backyards. You see, we normally only show people our front yards, right? That's what they see, that's what we keep up. The front yards are what's presentable. The lawn is manicured, the weeds have all been pulled. The pine straw looks neatly in place. There's nothing junky left out, nothing that the HOA could fine us for, right? (laughs) That's the front yard. That's what we want people to see. But what about our backyard? Many of us have fences around our backyard. Sometimes things are messy back there. Sometimes we just haven't gotten to fixing that yet or pulling those weeds or cleaning up that thing that's broken. For many of us, the backyard is where our real life is. Living authentically means that we invite more people into that backyard, not afraid to show other people that there are messes, because they've got their messes too. Hear me on this a lack of authenticity doesn't just inhibit gospel community. But a lack of authenticity also contradicts the very gospel that we say that we believe. Because when we embrace the gospel, we freely cry out, I'm broken. I don't have it all together. I've got messes and struggles and failures and sins. And when we pretend that we don't, or when we, pre- we present to others that we don't, we betray the truth and grace of Christ. In gospel community, we don't settle for anemic fellowship characterized by image management or by surface conversation, but rather in gospel community, we dial up authenticity because we're undergirded by the truth and grace of Jesus Christ. When we're in gospel community, we live authentically and we one another one another. We want another one another. What do I mean by that? Well, throughout the New Testament, over and over, believers are challenged and instructed in how we're supposed to relate to one another in this new community. These admonitions about how we're supposed to treat one another are commonly called the one another's. And there are many of them. There are several dozen of them, so many that we wouldn't have time to go through them. But I want to highlight a handful of them. And when I do, as I read these, remember, these aren't just biblical commands, although they are that. They're also expressions of gospel community that express and extend God's truth and grace to one another. Clothe yourself with humility towards one another. Accept one another. Speak the truth to one another. Encourage one another and pray for one another. Confess your sins to one another. Teach and admonish one another. Serve one another. Be kind and compassionate toward one another. Spur one another on to love and good deeds and care for one another. Forgive one another. Bear one another's burdens. Submit to one another. Live in harmony with one another. Weep with one another and rejoice with one another. Bear or forbear with one another and love one another deeply from the heart. And these are just half of them. They're sprinkled throughout virtually every New Testament epistle. I became became a Christian when I was about 18 years old. Okay, back about the time I was starting college, all right? And back then was the first time that I began learning of these one another's, reading them, hearing about them, seeing them on on these posters in the Christian girls' rooms in their dorms. And I remember thinking, oh, those are just sweet sentiments. Those are just ways that Christians are supposed to be nice to each other. But that was when I was back in college. That 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 was at least 20 years ago. But in the years since then, I've come to realize something. These aren't just expressions about being nice to one another. These are hard. These are hard to live out. Some of them are very hard. Try rejoicing with someone in their success, what they've achieved, when you're jealous because you wish you had that. That's hard. Try forgiving somebody, somebody that has wounded you deeply or wronged you in a way And they don't even care that they did. And they're certainly not asking you for forgiveness. That's hard. Try bearing someone's burden or serving them when it costs you something. Try loving someone from your heart that you don't even really like. These are hard to do. But can you see how virtually all of these are expressions of both truth and grace? In short, These admonitions, these one another commands are ways for us to love one another like Jesus loves. That's what we do in gospel community. Now I get the chance of visiting our different small groups. And each time I do, without fail, I get a firsthand view of a portrait of gospel community, a portrait of these one another's lived out before my eyes. I've sat in groups where the people prayed for one of the couple's and their prodigal teenager, praying for their return. And they wept together. I've witnessed rejoicing over someone who finally got hired after months and months of unemployment. And the same group had been bearing their burdens and providing meals and other things for them during those long months without income. I've seen groups spur each other on to doing something really cool for the kingdom by going downtown Atlanta in the inner city and feeding the homeless on a Thursday night. I've seen groups weeping for the couple in their group through their long journey and painful journey of infertility. And I've been there in a group when one person shared that even though she knows that she's forgiven and even though she knows she's in right relationship with God, she still wrestles with feelings of shame and and trying to get her hands around this unconditional love of God because of her past. And the group listened to her they didn't throw answer bombs back at her because they knew that she knew the truth. But they listened to her, they encouraged her, they blessed her, and God met her in a powerful way through her small group. All of these are extensions of the truth and the grace of Christ. This is gospel community. Let's not settle for less, but it's going to take an investment. And like any good investment, the cost... And the risks of pursuing gospel community are so worth it. Now, this sermon is not meant to be a commercial for small groups. Yeah, you know, there's a but, right? Actually, the reason I'm going to mention something about this is because for many of you, a small group may be a great next step. Our small groups are by no means the only expression of gospel community in this church but they may be a great place to start. And in a couple of weeks, actually, our small groups are about to hit the pause button for the summer. Our small groups take the summer off mostly. But before you know it, it's going to be August and our groups are going to be starting back again. The reason I mention this is because for some of you, you might be thinking, that may be a really good next step for me in my pursuit of gospel community. You might have interest in joining one of our 70-plus small groups. And so here's the thing. In August, we're going to be having this event where people can come and find out about our small group options. We call it Group Connect. And if you would like us to send you a reminder, like right now you're thinking, I really need to check that out. And you want us to send you a reminder about this? We'd be glad to. But here's how you'll let us know that. If you would take the card that's in front of you, and on there you'll see the word small group, the belonging card. If you just circle that word small group, you're not signing up for a small group. You're circling it. Put your name and email address. I know we already passed the offering. I've got a plan for that. If you do that, just leave it on your seat when you leave. I've got someone who's going to pick those up. We'll get that. And all we'll do is remind you when Group Connect is going to happen because this may be a great next step for you. Hope that makes sense. Commercial over. Back to sermon. As we close... I want to challenge you to invest in gospel community. I want to challenge you to become a person of truth and grace. Truth and grace for others. Become a person of truth and grace with others and allow other people to be that for you. At the end of your life, will you look back and say, God did so much work in my life through this group of people. Jesus showed up in my life. And partly through this group of people I was a part of. You may look back and say names like like Ken and Amy and Michael and Paul and Sarah and David and so-and-so and 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 so-and-so people that God brought into your life. And they spoke truth to you and they gave grace to you. They challenged you and taught you and they loved you. And God did an incredible work in your life through them. Let's not settle for anything less. Heavenly Father, may our church become an even greater expression of gospel community. May we as individuals be part of this, that we would powerfully experience your truth and your grace in our own hearts so that we can express and extend your truth and grace to others. May we be the people that you use to make this church, this reflection of gospel community, all that you have for it. For your sake and in your name we pray, amen.